Amen. Welcome to Friends Church. Um, I have some announcements for us this morning. We're going to be doing a citywide worship night this Friday at 6 o'clock. Um, we're going to be hosting it here. We moved it to Friday night because we had a couple churches in town um, that wanted to join, but they have services on Saturday night because uh, they're smart and they love to sleep in on Sunday, so that's good. Um, but it, it's cool because that means that we're going to have uh, more churches joining us this time for sure because they've been saying, move it to Friday and we'll all come. So if you guys want to join us, it's going to be a family night of worship, which means we're going to have our kids in here. I know a lot of times we love to say, you know, I want to worship, so I want to send my kids away to kids' church. But there's a beauty that happens in the midst of all the chaos when we can learn to worship as a family. And just be an example to our kids of what it looks like uh, to pour out our hearts towards our king. So join us. Bring your kids um, if you want a night of chaos. And we will love to join with you. Mine will be here. So, you know, the more the merrier. Um, another thing that's coming up, on March 4th to 5th, there's an overnight women's retreat um, that GGF is heading up. If you guys want, more, you ladies want more information about that, attending that, um, GGF has a table out in the lobby that you can get more information about that and sign up for it there. I think it's going to be an awesome time uh, for all the women in the church to get together. So if, if, you can, if you can make it, I'd love for you to come. Um, if you are new to the church... If you open up your bullets in, there's a communication card in there. We'd love to know more about you and just get uh, figure out ways that we can help plug you in. So on the back side of it, uh, you'll see ways that I, I can serve or prayer requests. Give us your information. We'll put you in our system and send you an email to give you updates of what's happening in the, as, a, as a body and just try to get you plugged in to this fellowship here. And then again, I want to stress, we're changing over our database. So if you haven't filled out a new communication card and you've been with us for a long time, please fill it out and put it in the offering basket as it passes because we're going to be moving to our new system in the next month or so. And if you have not filled out a new one, you will not be in the database. So please do that for us. Um, I'm going to pray and we're going to send kids uh, to Kids Church. Did everybody... Guys, did you come to the father-daughter dance on Friday night? We had a ton of men there and a ton of beautiful young ladies and older ladies, and it was just an awesome night. Thank you, everybody that helped pull that off. Uh, Sonia Ramstead, you're a genius for helping. Teresa Bennett did an, an incredible flower on the floor. There was so much stuff that happened. And uh, for everybody that helped volunteer and make that a priority for that night. Thank you. And for all you men bringing your daughters, I was able to bring Aubrey. It was an awesome night uh, with our girls. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that in uh, sickness and in health, Lord, that you are king, that you are God. No matter where we feel this morning, no matter where we're at, spiritually, physically, Lord, I pray that you would meet us that you would bring restoration to not only our bodies, but our spirits for this week ahead. Lord, as our kids go to Kids Church this morning, I pray for clarity and for truth to be spoken in those those rooms, that you would uh, put your hand of protection over those rooms. We know sickness is going around right now, and we don't want to be a little breeding ground to spread it. So God, we just pray for your protection in those classrooms and for healing to flow over this place. Uh, give the teachers strength um, and just uh, bless them for, 
for everything they do to pour out for our kids. Um, give it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have kids, you can bring them kids church at this time down the hallway. Um, if you don't, you can stand with us and we're going to continue to worship. Thanks for being here.
he was a team. And thank you, Joe. Buddy. <laughs> Are we ready to uh, take that offering? I want to say before we start, have a very blessed and happy Valentine's Day. Amen. Your life be filled with romance. Um, yeah, Lord, we um, know that without faith it's impossible to please you. So, Lord, we ask you to increase our faith and let our mindset be one of abundance. And, and um, God, we know that there is no lack in your kingdom. There is no scarcity. There is no, uh, there's no recession, God, in your kingdom. And just as you multiplied the loaves and fishes, God, you, you know our future. You know where we're headed. You know what's going to happen to us, Lord. And you've made provision for us for every step of our walk here on this planet. And so, God, we thank you for that. And we, we pray, God, let your blessing be upon uh, this offering. We, we invest in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, you have quite a set of notes there in your hands, hopefully. And I apologize, I really need to get my act together so they're not all scrunched down to, you know, minuscule type and you have to use a magnifying glass and there's no room for to write your own notes or anything, so it's kind of something I'm working on. Pray for me. Um, this morning, uh, we want to continue on our trip through the Bible, and I want to—I want to kind of address this. I want to kind of make this like an introduction to the Bible, because I know, and maybe you don't know. You look around, you see a lot of familiar faces, but there are a lot of new people who don't know anything about Jesus, who don't know anything about the Bible, and they're—they're they're being drawn by the Holy Spirit. It's not by man; it's by God. And they're coming into this church, and they're saying, hey, I just felt like I needed to go to church today. And maybe they haven't been in church, maybe never, maybe 10 years, 20 years, but I keep coming, they keep coming across my path, and so I want to maybe help all of us get on the same page in terms of what this is all about, because I want you to know this is an incredibly put-together book. It was, it was transcribed by 40 different people over a period of 1,500 years, and yet it's a beautiful tapestry of interconnectedness and stuff that you just don't realize when you first start looking at it. But the more that you look at it, the more awesome and wonderful it becomes. And after studying this book for more than 30-some years, I want to tell you, what book could you read for 30 years and, and be thrilled out of your mind to pick it up again? I mean, I am blown away by this book, and I honestly say this, I feel like I'm just getting started. It's so amazing. It is so deep. It is so wonderful. It's so magnificently put together and I want you today to attempt to give you a little taste a little glimpse of that tapestry 
Stephen Hawking uh, wrote a book. He's a world-famous physicist, probably the most well-known physicist that's alive today. He wrote a book entitled The Theory of Everything. And the subtitle was The Origin and Fate of the Universe. And uh, he's, a, he's an incredibly bright man, no doubt. But the only thing is, is that he is limited to the natural world to study it, to understand it. And he's, he's only got his own rational mind to work with. And what we're talking about with this book, what we're talking about today, is something that is revealed to us by someone from a different dimension. Okay? In other words, this book did not originate in the minds of man. It didn't, it's not from Earth. It's actually from this other dimension. It was written by God. It was, it was transcribed by men, but it says that all scripture is inspired by God. And, and even Paul, when he was talking about the gospel that was revealed to him, said that it was not according to man, nor received it, nor did he receive it from man, nor, he says, was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is, you know, this is a pretty outstanding claim to make that this book is not from earth. But the more you look at it, the more that becomes apparent. I remember I was driving through Laguna Beach one time and I was looking at this lady's uh, SUV and on the back it had a couple of bumper stickers. One of them said, curb your God. And the other one said, the more you believe, or the more you know, the less you believe. And I thought, no, you know what? It's actually the more you know, the more you believe. And I'm telling you, that is absolutely the truth in just reading this book. It's amazing. But the point is, is that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we have to have the Holy Spirit to really understand it. So it's written by God, and it's about God and his creation. And there are five primary characters in the book. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, mankind, and the devil. And it's the interaction of these five characters that compose this, that, that are written about in this book. And... And it's also the interaction between two dimensions, two realms. One is the natural, and the other is the spiritual. And the Word says that we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen, the natural realm, are temporal, but the unseen things are eternal. So, in other words, the dimension of of the spiritual is the permanent real dimension, whereas this is temporal, changing, fluctuating, even though it seems more real to us. So here we have the things that can only be known 
through revelation. And in no other way could they be understood or, 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 or grasped by the human mind. God has to reveal his world and who he is. He reveals himself. In, in John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And out of those two verses, we begin to see a, this thing that is termed the Trinity. And having gone through on my way to Jesus, having gone through Jehovah's Witnesses who do not believe in the Trinity, I spent the first four years of my walk with God studying what's called the Trinity, which means tri-unity. And what it amounts to is that God, there is only one God, and he is, he is composed or he has within himself these three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Son are in this relationship with the Spirit and by the Spirit in which they love each other. So God has always been in an eternal relationship within himself. And he has no need of anything or anybody else, but he has, he has chosen to, to create a heavens and an earth and populate both of them. And, and this is the story of, most of it is the story of the creation of the earth and man and our time frame. And he says, he's praying in John 17. This is Jesus praying in John 17. And he says, I have made your name known to them, meaning the disciples. And when he says, made your name known, we understand that he's saying, I've made your heart known. I've made your character known. I've made you, your personality, who you are, what you are, known to them. And he says, and not only that, but... I will make it known. In other words, we're not even, we're not, we are not ever in a static place in knowing God. There's always more to know about Him. In other words, you may say, I know God, but in, in this sense, He says, I will continue to make Him known. And I believe that we will continue to grow in our revelation and our knowledge of God and in our relationship with God through all eternity. There is no end to the wonders and the glory of God. And as awesome as that is, the fact is, is that in that he's always been in a relationship with himself, he has invited us into that love relationship. And why do I call it a love relationship? Because according to the Bible, the whole thing is about love. God so loved you that he gave his only son to die as a sacrifice that you would not perish but have everlasting life within you. And so he emphasizes this love. And, and, what, and when I say he's called us into this relationship, it's we are to have an experiential intimate and personal relationship with God. That's what the book is meant to do. It's meant to usher us into His presence, into His love, into knowing Him on a personal, intimate level. 
having him make himself known to us as we seek him, as we pray, as we spend time in the secret place and say, oh God, I want to know you. This was what Paul prayed, that I might know him. And the awesome thing is that God wants to make himself known to us. Because if, if, this, if this book, if we, don't, if we in our Christian life do not get to that point of knowing him, of experiencing, of soaking in his presence and, and having this revelation go on between us and him, then this is, no, this is nothing more than like having a, a guidebook to Maui and you can look at all the photos and you read all about it, but you never go to the island. It's like having a marriage manual, but you have no wife. It's like having a recipe with no cake. It's like getting a love letter. From some handsome, wonderful man, but you love the letter and you don't care about the guy. I mean, you get my point here. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, was all about love. All about love. Love for God. God, you know, puts his love in you for him. Pray it. It's a part of the word. It's the way it works. He's not, you're not going to love God unless he puts that love in you in the first place. And he says he, he puts his love within us by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity. We enter into this relationship. It's, it, it's amazing. And it's the thing that God has desired so much. He wanted to save you. He wanted you to be part of his family. He knows each and every one of you deeply and personally, and he loves you, and he wants to draw you into his presence. He wants, to, he wants you to get into that secret place and have that thick honey flowing down into your heart and changing your mind and your heart so that you can have even deeper knowledge and fellowship with him. It's also a book of, of dreams, of visions, of, of, of destiny and callings and, and God's purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. It's so amazing. It's so awesome to come into God's presence. You're getting that relationship going and then he begins to show you. He says, this is who I've made you to be. This is what I have for you to do. He says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that we, that, that have been before ordained, that we should walk in them. In other words, there's a plan. There are things that we are to do. And, and so we want to look at this right, right here in Genesis. Genesis means origin. It means creation. It means beginning. And it says in 127, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It says in Colossians about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. 
I don't know if you've noticed, but God is invisible. Yeah, it's a revelation. And I believe the reason, I remember one time, just as a very young Christian, I'm in my closet. You know, I mean, I take the word literally, go in your closet and pray. So I was in my closet, and I said, God, it'd be so cool, and I would just totally believe in you if you just create a little star about this big right now in my closet. And it didn't happen. But I got some understanding out of the situation because I, what I felt like the Lord was showing me was that, no, 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 if I do that, then you will always want to have that. You want to have some natural manifestation in, in, in me showing you who I am. And, and, and he was saying, no, no, I want you to know me spirit to spirit, which is the deepest way we can know anything or anyone. And that's what God wants. He wants that intimacy. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You have been created through him and for him, and nothing can satisfy you but him. You are created for God. You are a supernatural being now that you are a new creation, a new species of being on the earth created for him. So there's no point in trying to satisfy yourself out here in the world. What is money going to do for you? What is a new house, new car, whatever? We're going to go into all this stuff, but no, you're made for God. That's it. End of story. That's just, this is what it's all about. You don't get this from Stephen Hawkins. He can't, he doesn't have the perception. He doesn't have the ability to understand these things. You must be born of the Spirit. And then all this stuff is like, wow, this is all real. Now, when I came to Jesus and I got born again, I mean, the Spirit of God just went boosh on me. And I was like, oh, this is real. This is it. <laughs> I'm done searching. I, I don't have to look any further. And it's been more real the further I've gone. Then it says in verse 28, And God blessed them. The blessing of God right up front. Creation. Blessing. Boom. I love it. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Total dominion over the earth. We're like, we're like vice regents. We're, we're, we're like governors underneath God. And we were meant to be fruitful and ever-expanding and increasing and cultivating and, 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 and moving out into new territories and taking rule and dominion as we go. God has this purpose for us. And, and what I want you to see, we're going to talk a little bit about this, but all of the things in Genesis are like seeds. And this is like a seed planted in Genesis for the kingdom. These words... Describe the kingdom, fruitfulness, multiplication, filling the earth, subduing it, and ruling. Because that's what the kingdom is like. It's, it's full of abundance. It's, it's full of blessing. It's full of fruitfulness and dominion. And then it says, the Lord planted a garden east of Eden. 
uh, or east, toward the east, in Eden. And there he placed man, whom he had formed. The word Eden means pleasure and delight. So it was a, it was a garden of delight. And it was a place that God had prepared for man. I love this because what it means is that God prepares our future for us. And then he places us in the place that he has for us. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, it says that he places us in the body as he desires. There's another verse. I really felt to read this verse today. Psalm 68, 6. It's going to mean something to somebody here. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. And some of us know about dwelling in a dry land. <laughs> yeah. We, we've tried everything else. We have wandered out in the desert. But God wants to bring us in. And if you don't have a family, if your family's all blown apart, we're your family. You come on in. We, we receive you. We open our arms to you. Come on in and be a part of this family. Amen. I love it, too, when Jesus has, you know, lived his life, crucified, comes back for a short period of time, and he says, I am going to prepare a place for you. Not only on this earth, but after this life, he's preparing a place for us right now. And then it talks about two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In my personal opinion, these two trees are like seeds, and they represent the Old and New Testament. And, and maybe we'll talk about that next week. Actually, I'm going to be speaking next week. So yeah, I'm just warning you ahead of time. Um, so here's, I mean, think about it. Here's God's plan. Creation, intimate relationship, and purpose. It's awesome. So Genesis is filled with types, shadows, symbols, and allegories, all in seed form that represent prefigure, and foreshadow spiritual realities that are revealed later on in the scriptures. And someone said, this is brilliant, the New Testament, now listen, think about this, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And that's exactly the case. So Genesis is a garden where everything is in seed form. And I want to give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Because these chapters are so loaded with seeds. Genesis 20, or 2, 21, 25. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, that's just a, you know, kind of some interesting elements in the creation of the woman. But then when we go further into the New Testament, you know, what was concealed is there by and then revealed. And so um, it says in Ephesians, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hated his, has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You're starting to see a little bit of this tapestry that's going on here. And think about this. That when, when Jesus, when Lazarus had died... Jesus said to the disciples, he used, it, and I think it's called an idiom, that is used by Paul and others in the New Testament, and he said, the, the disciples said, oh, you know, we've got to go and, and, and uh, you know, take care of Lazarus. He said, well, he's not dead, he, or he, he's, I'm, a, I'm sorry, it, he, Jesus said, he's asleep, and they thought, oh, we'll go wake him out of sleep. But what he meant was, what he was really saying, he's dead. And so sleep is associated, is another word for death. And we see that Adam, God put Adam into a deep sleep. And then out of his side came the woman. In the same respect, Jesus died, and through him the church has come. And, and not only that, but marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church. Every marriage is a representation to the world of Christ and the church. And the two becoming one and then being fruitful, it's God's plan. And so we are in union with Christ. Romans 7 that says that we are to be joined to this husband that we might bring forth fruit. So you can see how this is all tied together. It says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. As Eve was created and came forth from Adam, so we as new creations in Christ have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's 1 Peter 1.3. Now, Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, the serpent said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The subtlety of the serpent comes into this picture. And there's a questioning of has God said. He's putting the word of God into question. And, and I, I would ask you, you know, I think that anyone on this planet would agree that the best things in life are things like righteousness, justice, love, kindness, generosity, marriage, peace, purity, honesty, 
family, and soccer. Okay? Those are the things that we all desire. But why is it that we could all be agreeing on this and yet we find fear, shame, divorce, murder, drugs, abuse, greed, alcoholism, pride, lust, deception, hate, war, poverty, and you had to lock your car in the way in here? It's like Morpheus said in the movie The Matrix, there's something wrong with the world. And who is this serpent? We, can't, we don't know much about the serpent just by reading this account in Genesis. We just know that somehow this serpent was speaking to this woman. And, and yet in the New Testament, what was concealed, what is in it, this, in, a, in seed form, is revealed. Because in Revelation 12, 9, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So we start out in this, this little, this, 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 this little, uh, uh, almost like a um, cocoon, and, and it's just one Verses 1, a serpent and a woman. But by the time we're coming to the end of the story, the deception that was over one woman has spread. And it's the whole world now that is deceived. We don't think about the world being deceived. Or maybe we do. But we have to understand, this is what this Bible says. It says the whole world is deceived. And we're going to talk more about the world as a system next week and get into it. So it says, The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. And therefore she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And what we have here in this verse is the seed form of the entire system called the world and this planet. And it has these three characteristics. They were, see, what's, what I'm saying here is this is all in seed form and it's all prefiguring everything that took place right here at the fall and, and the way that things all developed. And so in 1 John 2.16 it says... For all that is in the world, now remember she said it was good for food. And then John is, is, I think, referring back to this, and he says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. There's so much that, you know, God creates us to eat, to drink, to live. And yet it can all be twisted and turned into such a degree that, that we are 
we're walking in the deceptions. And then we're, not only as we sin, we're yielding ourselves to sins, to transgression, transgressions, to iniquities. And as we do, we come underneath the, the, the kingdom of darkness. And it leads us into deeper levels of bondage and pain and affliction and these types of things. And so it says here, she, she thought it was good for food. And then the, uh, John describes it as the lust of the flesh, drugs, alcohol, sex, all these things that, that the body craves. And the lust of the eyes, which is a delight to the eyes. She said it was a delight to the eyes. John says it's the lust of the eyes. And that's basically, I read that as the material world. All that we gather to ourselves. Everything that money can buy that enhances us and, and makes us feel good. I mean, you know, if you're trying to impress somebody with your house, with the properties that you own, with, with your clothes, with your car, all of, everything that, all your stuff, all the stuff money can buy. And then the boastful pride of life. She said, it was to make me wise so that I could be like God. And, and so there's this, what John calls the boastful pride of life. And it's, it's your power, it's your, it's your position in the company, it's your, it's your rank, it's your fame, it's all about the glory of men, it's about your talents and your wisdom. And all these things can be self-enhancing and you can feed upon those things. And, and most people do. Even some people in the church are still hung up on some of these things. And God wants, to do, wants us to be separated from all of that. And that's what it means to be separated from the world. It's not that we don't have friends in the world. It's just that we don't partake of, of the world, what the world has to offer. Then the, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord called to the man and said to him, and you know when you're reading this, you can, you know, we don't have the tone, so we can, we can kind of think of the tone ourselves. And what do you think the tone is? The tone, if you are under the law, if you are feeling kind of guilty, you might think the tone is, where are you? An angry tone. But I don't believe that because it's not consistent with the rest of the word. I believe that God's heart was broken. It was more like, oh, where are you, Adam? I love you. What has happened here? Something is wrong. I always meet with you in the cool of the day. We walk together and you you disappear. Something's happened here. I hear God's heart crying out. You know, I uh, it's well let me read this next verse. He said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. A few weeks ago, I had a, a picture come into my mind, and what I saw was like a gym lock, and it had the master lock on it. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, son, 
uh, you have some secrets you're keeping from me. You have some hidden thoughts that you're not sharing with me. And the, the cool thing about it was this. I mean, I, I knew, I mean, you know how when God speaks to you, just like, oh yeah, I know exactly what those thoughts you're talking about. And, uh, but the thing of it was is that um, I had been plagued by certain, and there were, you know, there were certain thoughts, and I, um, it was like on a cycle. Like every four or five days, I just get these thoughts. And, and so I opened the locker up, and I opened it up to the Lord, and about a, about a week ago or so, I just got totally, completely released. It just, bam, disappeared, gone. It's a, it was a total awesome miracle for me because, like, I'm totally free now. And it's wonderful. I love God's freedom. And I want freedom in your life as well. Anyway, this, this, this question, where are you, is basically the question that is answered in the Old Testament, Okay. And, and I'll explain that maybe next week. But the point I want to make is that what this is a part of is judgment. And we normally think of judgment as being destruction, punishment of some sort. And that's really not the purpose or meaning of the word judgment. Yes, that is the ultimate end of judgment if the first part of judgment is not uh, is not completed. And what I mean by that is when, when God says, where are you? He's looking for disclosure from you. He's revealing something to you. He is saying, there is a disparity between you and I. And this is what it is. And the point of this is that there would be a rectification of the disparity. Not punishment, not destruction. Because what this is, when he says, where are you? It's a diagnosis. It's an assessment. It's an evaluation. And I want to tell you something that is totally stunning to me. It is so amazing, so almost 100% pervasive. And what I'm about to say is so accurate. And it is so interesting to me that we assume, wholeheartedly assume, that we can evaluate our own spiritual condition. But that is, in fact, completely denied and rejected by this book. Because this book is all about God coming in and giving evaluation where needed. And, and, and the people that are receiving the evaluation often reject it. But even if they don't reject it, they're kind of, their minds are kind of blown because they weren't expecting that. Does this make any sense to you guys? I mean, I'm not getting a lot of feedback. Amen. All right, we're all in deep thinking mode here. Um, so, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The woman said, the woman whom you, the, the, I'm sorry, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said, the Lord God said to the woman, 
what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And then the Lord went to the serpent, and he said, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. So what we started out with was the blessing of God. Then we go through this, this deception, and then like all of us here, the verse is fulfilled. We are like sheep. Every one of us has gone astray and turned our own way. And that's what happened. And as a result, all of a sudden, this word is uttered by God that no, I mean, never been uttered before, and that is a curse. There's a curse that's released on the earth. And, and it says, but listen to this. The Lord is speaking to the serpent, and he says, but, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he, he, the seed of the woman, he, shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, in that if this is in seed form, it is not really clear until you look at the rest of the scriptures which then brings light upon this scripture and in, which is in fact the beginning of the gospel because what it sets up is the fact that the seed of the woman which we know is Christ and the seed of the serpent the serpent you know being an adversarial it's an adversarial condition situation between the serpent and the Son of God. That is established. It's also between the serpent's seed and the seed of the woman. Okay? And and when I was, I shared a little bit of this with Doug Richmond the other day, and he said, wait, 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 what is the seed of the serpent? Who's that? What's that all about? And, I, and immediately the verse came to me where Jesus was addressing the Pharisees, and he said, you are of your father, the devil. So there's, there's going to be a clash between the true church and the, and the religious establishment. There is, a, there is this, this false religion that is serpentine in its nature that is going to uh, have enmity. And there's also the enmity between the flesh and the spirit. So the, all of these things are in the mix. But it says that he shall bruise you on the head, which is a fatal wound. But you shall bruise him on the heel. And the scriptures were prophesying this when Isaiah said, he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. Do you see how this is working? Do you see this tapestry that's going on here? And then Hebrews, it says... Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That's what we read earlier. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those through whom fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
When Peter preached his first message, he told those Gentiles at Cornelius' house, he said, you know how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And that's what our job is. Each and every one of you have a ministry, and it's involved in, in destroying the works of the devil. In fact, in Hebrews 10, 11 and 12, or 12 and 13, it says, But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made his footstool. That's, a, that's our job. We're going to make the enemy his footstool. We're going to go forward. We're going to heal the sick, cast out demons, demons, preach the gospel, and bring nations into the discipleship of the Lord. And, and this, is the, this is all generated here in Genesis, the beginning, the creation. The plan is being unfolded even in the first few chapters. Then Adam said, because, then he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. And I hope to preach a message on that verse sometime in the future. It's amazing. It's so cool. But it says, Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Thorns and thistles are a, are a representation of the curse that came upon creation. And we know that in Romans it says, all creation groans and travails for the manifestation of the sons of God, that they can be released into the freedom and liberty that has come upon the sons. So that's all a part of this picture. But about John, I want to look at John. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the, so and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put him in a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. What is this? Do you see the connection? Because... The Bible says that Jesus became a curse for us. The symbol of the curse was put upon his head. Was put like a crown upon his head. The curse came upon Jesus that we might be redeemed and released from the curse. It came upon the earth when Adam and Eve fell. And that is a tremendous truth of great importance to us in our daily lives. We are here to release the people from the curse as they come to Christ. And as, as God himself, in the form of Christ, was crowned with thorns, that, that he might take that upon himself, that we would be redeemed and delivered from it. Uh, that's Galatians 3.13, by the way. And then finally, um, and worship team, you can come up. Finally, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And you can just read right over that. Okay, he killed an animal, made skins and covered, covered their nakedness. 
But what, what, look at it. Were there not thousands of animals that were sacrificed under the Old Testament system of the law? Yes, there were. Was not Christ symbolized by those sacrifices? Was not Jesus the Lamb of God? Yes. And so we see right here in the beginning, in seed form, that there was a sacrifice, that there was bloodshed, that there would be a covering. And it says in, in um, uh, oh, and I want to mention too, this is, this is very powerful, but it's my own personal conviction out of Matthew 27. I believe that Jesus hung naked on the cross. That he didn't have the one covering, but no artist is going to, you know, dare picture Christ naked, so they put one on for the sake of modesty. But the scriptures indicate that he was naked. He took our shame. And I, I don't know about you, but I have done many horrible, shameful things. But I thank God that he took my shame. And, and then in Galatians 3.27, it says... All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Glory. Amen. That is awesome. So, Lord, I pray that, God, these things will be the things that we live by, the things that will be more real to us than this planet, than, than the world, the flesh, or the devil can, can, can hinder us in any way. I pray that these realities... God, that you have unveiled to us by your spirit, by divine revelation from heaven. God, these things will be the foundation of our lives. Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, Lord. And that, God, off of this foundation, Lord, you will raise up Friends Church as a mighty army in God that will go about doing good, healing, and delivering all that are oppressed by the devil, casting out those demons, healing the sick, preaching the good news, bringing the oil of joy for the spirit of heaviness that exists over our city. And Lord, we just pray, equip us, fill us with faith, fill us with that confidence that can only come from you, and boldness to share and to go forth and to bring forth fruit and to, to multiply and bring blessing and favor and abundance and Lord, to rule and to reign.
Let us experience the glory of your good. Let us become more aware.